0: Well, good morning. So Ray said, he knows that song leaders shouldn't preach. I've always threatened that if if the song leader starts preaching, the preacher's just going to lead singing. But I've realized that may not be as much of a threat to people like Ray. He's like, all right, even better. We'll go from there. Earlier this month, you may have seen these pictures on, uh, if you get the uh, Christian Chronicle, Uh, they were on the front page of the April uh, Chronicle, and it was... Fifty years remembering these two guys. Now, our world may not put those together or putting these two guys together because 50 years ago, uh, most of us uh, and most of our media really focused on Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. As you can see, he's, he's the one on the left there. You probably recognize him. Um, and I always love that picture. That is just a... You see him a lot of times in, that, that you, in his preaching pose, but I love the one of him smiling. And there's a lot of pictures of him smiling, uh, and I think he, he knew something. <laughs> and I love that. Even given all the harshness of his time, he, he knew something. Uh, and he became pretty much the face and the v- most visible spokesperson for the civil rights movement. And many of you remember that even. The other preacher on the right here is uh, one that you may not know as well. Some considered him the uh, Dr. King of the Churches of Christ. If you know, Dr. King was a Baptist. Um, and this, this guy's Marshall Keeble. I believe Marshall Keeble to be pr- quite possibly one of the best and most influential preachers in the Church of Christ of the uh, 20th century. He had a long career and he died of old age um, 50 years ago at the end of April. He himself, it is, it, it, since exact records aren't necessarily covered on this, it is estimated that he himself, through his gospel meetings and through his evangelical uh, missions, he baptized between thirty and 40,000 people. Let that sink in. During a time whenever racial prejudice, segregation was very high, and he did it with blacks, he did it with whites, males, females, or as Paul might even say, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free. I love that, and honestly, the more that you can read about his, his life and what, how he approached things uh, in the church, I don't agree with all of his stances, but I sure do agree with his heart and his sentiment, and man, he is an impressive guy, his name is Marshall Keeble, Um, The Chronicle puts several things uh, about these two together, and it got me thinking that that both these men fought for what they believed in. They may have fought in different ways. They weren't the same, but they both were very influential African-American preachers, and that puts them in a very small category, especially in their time. But the way they fought was different than the way that this world thinks you should fight for things. Even then, but especially now. They didn't take take up weapons and violence. Both of these men worked to battle the injustices that they saw in the world through peaceful means. Through the means of a church coming united to battle the things that need to be changed. I can appreciate that about both these guys. In fact, I think both of them understood what Jesus is talking about, what Paul is getting at further uh, whenever they talk in Scripture about this paradox that we can have strength through our weaknesses. You see, no one wants to be considered weak, right? I mean, I I learned this early on, and, uh, you know, if... I always kind of wonder what it would be, how different some of my illustrations would be if I had boys rather than girls. But I know, growing up, it was a big deal that all boys had to be tough. If you fall down and skin your knee as a boy, what'd your dad say? He may not fully be able to repeat it, but he'd just get up. You know, it's all right. Suck it up is what they usually say. All right, I said it. I apologize. Then. If your little girl falls down, skins her knee. Sometimes you say the same thing, I get it. Sometimes you scoop over there, you pick them up, and and you hold on to them because it's okay to do that with the girl, but the boy's gotta be tough. The boy's gotta be strong because that's what our world thinks of guys. We don't want anything to be weak about us, we want our, our government to be strong, we want our schools to be strong. We want our families to be strong. We even want the things that cover our phone, these nice little cases, we want those to be strong, don't we? Because weakness is not something that we value in our world. No one brags about how weak their school is. No one brags about how weak their defenses are. No one brags about how personally weak I am. Usually those are cause caused for insults, aren't they? But in Christ, something is different. Sometimes we misinterpret parts of scripture. One of our go-to passages, especially when we want to talk about strength, is Philippians 4.13. You you probably know this one. You probably memorized it when you were a kid. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things or anything, some translations say. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This is the kind of verse that we put on the t-shirts as we go to the gym and to work out. You're like, I can do this. It's a Christ. It, I got the strength. And he's making me stronger. Because that's what we all want, right? We all want to exemplify this idea of strength. And I think we've done a mis, misconception or we've done a problem with the church as a whole into society. Because we've almost made this verse to be talking about the strength that I have. It's the strength that I have built up, that I have worked on, and I have done the things in my life to make me stronger, so that I can walk through the things of this life. But if you notice, there's two key words, I believe, in this passage that sometimes get overlooked. Key words, through Christ. The strength doesn't come in any other ways, it comes through Christ. Because Paul understood what it meant to have strength, even in his weakness. If you look at the broader context of this passage in Philippians, he is saying how he has learned how to live or be content in any situation, whether he had a lot or whether he had a little. In fact, what Paul is saying is that I don't need all of that stuff to make me strong because my strength is found in Christ no other place it's in him and that's why he can say for I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength if you take out the through Christ you miss the whole point I think Paul knew that he can do anything because Christ had given him strength to be able to endure in the times of pressure Dr. King I think understood this very well He wrote in Strength to Love this, The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. The true neighbor will risk his position, his prestige, and even his life for the welfare of others. In dangerous valleys and hazardous pathways, he will lift up bruised and beaten brother to a higher and more noble life. What Dr. King is saying there is that those, those who walk in strength through the valleys of this life are ones that have strength in something much stronger than themselves. They have their strength, as Paul would say, in Christ. The only way that you can stand through some of the trials and tribulations that come our way, the only way that you can do that is through Christ. You can't do it some other way. People have tried, and it doesn't really work. You can't muster up enough of your own strength, make your shoulders broad enough to carry the the loads that this world will throw onto you. You may be able to go for a time, but time and time again, what we see is people get crushed under the loads of trying to do things by their own strength. So if Christ is to become our strength, how does that work? What does that look like? Well, Paul has an answer for that, dealing a little bit more in one of his other letters to the Corinthians. It's 2 Corinthians 11 and 12. In these, uh, in these two chapters, he is, he is dealing with some false teachers that are accusing Paul of being yes, soft in, in some ways, but they're saying you shouldn't have to listen to Paul because he's not worth listening to. And they're almost giving their pedigree of the reason that you should listen to me. These, these false teachers are, are, are saying all this stuff. And so Paul, Paul is addressing them by using their same kind of logic. Their logic is you should listen to me because I'm worth listening to. I look at my degrees that I have on the wall, look at the, the, the places, the arenas that I've spoken, all the things that have happened to me. This is the reason you should listen, because I have endured all these things. And Paul says, you want to play that game? All right, this is foolishness, but let's play that game. And so in starting in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, he begins to play that game with them. And he says, this is foolishness, but you know what? You say that you're a Jew, I'm more Jew than you. I always love how Paul kind of does this. I and mean, he's like, you say, you're, I, I am a Jew among Jews. I'm a Pharisee among Pharisees. You say you've had trials, yeah, but have you been stoned, left for dead? You say you've had hardships, but have you been shipwrecked as many times as I have? And he starts giving this whole list of things that you should just be like, whoa, Paul. Yeah, we'll listen to you. But his whole stance among the Corinthians, the reason that these false teachers were against him is because when he came to Corinth, he did not ask them for anything. He didn't ask to get paid. That was actually funded from another church, his mission in Corinth, which was a long mission. He never asked for something from the Corinthians because he didn't want it to be in the road uh, blocking the path for them to come to Christ. And so he says he took a stance of humility among them and he's getting blasted for it. But he's giving all of this, this reasons why they should listen, and he plays the trump card in verse 12. Not the President Trump, I realize that illustration, that verbiage is messing up our world now. He plays that ace of spades, we'll go with that. Chapter 12, he says this, this boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up in the third heaven, for, third heaven 14 years ago. I don't even know what the, he's talking about there. I've studied. I don't know what the third heaven is. Um, that's fa- fascinating stuff. He was able to see it 14 years ago. Whether I was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in the body or outside my body, in case you didn't catch it the first time. But I do know that I was caught up in paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. Now, this is interesting stuff, isn't it? That experience is worth boasting about. But I'm not going to do it. I'll boast only about my weaknesses. In fact, if you read that passage in another translation, you might be wondering, what in the world? Doesn't it say, Paul say, I know a man who... Most scholarship is pretty sure that Paul's talking about himself, but he won't even talk about himself in the original, uh, in in the Greek. He talks in almost what we would call third person. I know a guy. I know a guy who did this, and if I had that experience, I would boast about it. No, he did have that experience, and he's saying, but even, even though I did, I'm not going to boast about it. Here's what I'm going to boast about. I'm going to boast about my weakness. Okay. Out of all the things to boast about, and Paul has a list, he's saying all those things that other people say, hey, this is what makes you strong. This is what makes you get recognized. He says, I'm not going to boast about that stuff because it doesn't matter. Not in the understanding of in Christ. Christ. Because in Christ is really all that matters. And the things that I've done in my own strength, they don't matter as much. This world doesn't get that, does it? This is a complete paradox. And some of us here even have a hard time understanding how in the world did Paul get there? Well, Paul had to get there because, and, and understand that his strength came through his weakness, through the Lord through a lesson that was given by the Lord. Continuing on on in verse 7, it says this, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need, catch this, my power works best in weaknesses. That just sounds strange, doesn't it? That sounds weird. We'll get into a little bit more about why. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses, Paul says, so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and the hardships, the persecutions and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then. I am strong. Did you notice how much he talks about in Christ, through Christ, because of Christ? Because he's picking up something. Now, a lot of time could be spent speculating about what the thorn in the flesh is that Paul had, and a lot of ink has been spilt on pages talking about that. I'm just going to give you my best educated guess. Uh, You probably have seen this before. Okay, if you hadn't seen it, it's, it's SpongeBob SquarePants. Say, hey, Paul, what you doing? What you doing? You writing a letter, Paul? And it's, the caption is, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Yeah, all right. That's a theological guess for you. Okay. Now let's just set that aside. And I'm going to tell you, it doesn't fully matter what the thorn in the flesh is. I want to talk about what, or the why. Why the thorn in the flesh? Because that's really what matters. Here's the first thing that we need to recognize about the thorn in the flesh. Paul says, it was a gift. Did you notice how he said that? He says, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. That seems strange in our ears, doesn't it? A thorn in the flesh is a gift? How in the world can that be? I mean, that just doesn't make sense. A curse is what we might call it. But Paul says, no, this was a gift. Now, here's why. The thorn on the flesh was given, and he goes on, so that I would not become proud. Put that in context of what all the things that Paul had already been talking about. He has this whole list of things that he could be proud of because he's endured so many hardships, because he has the right kind of training, because he has done so many things, he could be proud if anyone could, Paul sure could. But he says, to stifle that pride, before it came and ripped apart my life, I was given a thorn in the flesh. Oh, that we would look at our weaknesses and thorns like Paul does. Oh, that we might understand just how powerful his words are here. I was given this now he didn't want it i mean he's human no one wants a thorn in the flesh whatever it might be so he asked the lord three times would you take it away from me this also is indication that uh, where this thorn is coming from in its purpose god would you take back this gift i'm kind of good without this gift but the answer was no my grace is sufficient. My grace is all you need. And then the Lord tells him, for my power works best in weakness. It's at that moment that Paul all of a sudden gets it and understands it. And he says, so I will now boast about my weaknesses. Because if I want Christ and God's power to work best, then I've got to be weak. Or at least I don't need to be afraid of my weakness. This sounds so strange according to the worldly standard. doesn't seem to make sense, but I believe this paradox actually offers us a wonderful truth and hope. You see, if you rely upon your own strength, you can only go so far. If you rely upon all the things that you know in your head or can do in your body, you're only going to go so far. And when the storms of this life rage there, heads at you you might be able to weather some of them but eventually your strength is going to fail your strength will not be enough because the one that stands against us the messenger of satan or satan himself we should not we we should not be clueless in the fact that he's stronger than us one-on-one you can't go toe-to-toe with satan by yourself You're going to get clobbered. Even if you can muster up all the strength that you ever could, you still can't take him on. That's just pretty disheartening, isn't it? But here's the cool part. We were never meant to do it by ourselves. Our strength makes us think that we can do everything by ourselves. Whenever you're strong at a particular thing, whatever it might be, you're really pretty sure that it's your own strength that is making everything better. My daughter's about to start in the band, and Katie and I are super excited about this because we're band nerds, all right? If you did not know that about us, that's where we met as band, all right? We're, we're pumped, but we keep on telling her, hey, you got the choice here. you got to do it one year for us, and then you can choose. But we're pumped because we're like, she's going to be awesome, and she's going to hold that section together because she's just going to be awesome like that because that's what, well, I'm going to brag, that's what her mom and I did. We were awesome at this, okay? I thought that until I got to college. Whenever I played band in college, I realized as a saxophone player against all these majors, I got nothing. I was at the end of the row. Not the first chair end, the other end. I had so much fun, though. Because in that moment, I was able to give up this whole thought that I have to hold this thing together, that is upon my own strength. I recognized in band, skill-wise, I was probably the weakest link in college. But I knew I could offer something. I was the only Barry Sachs player, and if that means anything to you, then you were a band nerd like me. But I held down that section, loved it. All that to say, All of that to say, whenever I rely upon my own strength, that's only going to take me so far. But whenever I recognize my own weakness, I can't take credit for the good things that happen. Whenever it's out of a stance of weakness for me, I can't take credit. In other words, I believe that the weaknesses that we have are a gift. Our thorns are a gift from God to help us realize that we can't do it alone. Because if we didn't have those, we would try to do it alone, and we would get clobbered. But make no mistake, whenever we start recognizing our weaknesses, and we start, start living in our weaknesses, and we start praising God in our weaknesses, the world is not going to understand. Dr. King tried to explain it, this again in his Strength to Love. He says this, to our most bitter opponents, we say, we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We shall meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will, and we shall continue to love you. We cannot in all good consciousness obey your unjust laws, because non-cooperation with evil is just as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. Let those words sink in. That's fantastic. Throw us in jail, and we shall still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our community at the midnight hour and beat us and leave us half dead, and we shall still love you. Be assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. One day we will win freedom, but not only for ourselves. We shall so appeal to your heart and your conscience that we shall win you in the process, and our victory will be a double victory. I love this quote because I think Dr. King understood this whole idea of whenever I turn the other cheek, whenever I lay down my life as Christ did, whenever I do this godly love that is all over scripture, it not only sets me free, it has the power to set everyone free, even those who need it the most. King and Keeble not everyone liked their approaches. A lot of people th- thought they weren't tough enough, that they didn't have a strong enough stance, that they should have been out there with a, more, a stronger offensive. But I think they understood, I am weak. But as Paul says, whenever I am weak, you are strong. And I think they praise God in their weaknesses. I especially like how Keeble said it once. He said it this way. Change hearts, and you will change society. We don't have to change all the things of our strength. Sometimes the weakest part of us is our heart. But that heart is exactly what Christ wants in our weakest moments in our weakest state he can do some amazing things so this morning i I just want to ask you where are you weak what's your thorn in the flesh what are the what is the things that you're you're trying to hide you're trying to suppress because this culture that we are living in this society is only promoting strength and so you're trying to hide all your weaknesses what is it Once you name it, once you know it, let me ask you this question. What if, instead of hiding it, you allowed God to use it? To where you can't take the credit for it? Whatever happens is in Christ and through Christ. How much different would your life be if you didn't have to hide your weaknesses? If you could be truly who you are in whatever situation? And if you truly could let Christ reign and use every piece of you, not just where you feel strong, what would change? Think about that as we pray for a second. Heavenly Father, we know, we know we are weak. Sure, we try to put on this facade that we're stronger, that our family's all put together, we don't have mess, you know, that we don't have our own mess in our lives. But Lord, we know that is just a face that we put on. We have weaknesses that we don't want to show the world. But Lord, if you will soften our hearts, if you will start at the place that's probably the weakest in us is our heart, if you'll start there and use that weakness so that your name may be, be proclaimed throughout my whole life, Lord, we will do our best not to take credit for it because we know we can't. And we will praise you all the more. Lord, work in us, work through us so that our weaknesses become great power for you. May this world see not just our weaknesses, but your power in us. Be with us, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. This morning, if you are feeling a little weak, feel a little broken in your life, and I want you to know that you're surrounded by a whole bunch of people like you. We may not always admit it, but we are some broken people who have messed up royally, a lot of us. We are still striving to give God our weaknesses, so this morning, I want to give you that opportunity. If you have weaknesses that you want to turn over to the Lord, I'm going to invite you to find one of the elders and ministers around the auditorium. Let them pray with you. Let them confess their own weaknesses to you so that we can together show Christ's strength through our weaknesses. So this morning, if you have weaknesses you want to make known, would you come as we stand and as we sing together?